My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. I'm Pastor Lane Jones from the Beacon of Hope broadcast, and um, I have with me to this morning Mike Krug, who's been in our community for a number of years, and um, uh, wanted to have him share his testimony with you. So, Mike, um, you didn't grow up in this area. Where, where were you from originally? I grew up in the Bronx in New York City. And um, uh, what brought you up to, uh, to northeastern Pennsylvania? Well, my family moved to Roscoe, New York, and then uh, later on I got married and I moved over here. My wife had a farm here, a family, and we moved over here on the farm. I see. And so um, when you moved up to Roscoe, I understand you got involved in the uh, Sheriff's Department in Sullivan County for a number of years. That's correct. I was a patrol deputy for eight and a half years, and then I worked in law enforcement probation, total of 27 years. Wow. And um, so it's kind of different how you met your wife, so why don't you tell the folks how you met your wife? I was on the 1980, I was doing the, uh, the Harris strike line, and uh, also the Calicoon hospital strike line, keeping the line open, and my wife worked for the hospital at that time, and she was on strike, and... Uh, my uh, best friend set me up with my wife. I see. So you didn't know her. She was one of the strikers. That's correct. And uh, so you got set up with her and uh, started dating her. That was in 1980? That's correct. Okay. So um, how did you uh, uh, come to know Christ as your Savior? What, what did God do in your life to bring you, bring you to himself? Well, my wife invited me over to a house here, the Calkins, for dinner. And then she invited me also to church at the Calkins Baptist Church. It was there that uh, I met Pastor Tom Fuller and when I attended church and one day after the service he said uh, if I was born again and I didn't know what he was talking about. So he said, I want to ask you 10 questions and see how you do. I said, fine. So he asked me some questions such as, will I get to heaven if I attended church regularly? Or if I gave money to the offering? Or if I take communion? Or if I get baptized? Or if I support the missions? And I put yes to all that. At the end of the 10 questions, he told me I failed. And I said, I couldn't believe it. I've never failed a test in my life. And he said, no, you got a zero. He said, there's nothing you can do to get yourself in, into heaven. It's a free gift. So he said, I have to disciple you for a while. So for four months, he gave me a couple of disciple books, and I completed them, and he discipled me. And I realized that I was a sinner, and I no way that I could get to heaven on my own. And so, eventually, in March of 1981, I accepted Christ as my Savior. So, um, what convinced you, as you're doing these discipleship books, was it the, the, the verses you're reading, or hearing things devotions. in church? Yeah, devotions. And uh, it would ask you different questions, and you look up scripture, and then you would write down the answer to the question. And some of the highlights that came was Romans 3.23 that said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So therefore, I actually realized that I myself was a sinner. And we started all the way back to Adam and Eve when, when sin entered into the world. And then um, in John fourteen six, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So that must have been, so what you're saying is that was new truth to you. Like you'd gone to church as a kid, but you didn't, so for whatever reason you didn't catch that. That's correct. I attended uh Catholic uh, church all my life, my parents, and, and they really didn't say anything about the gospel at all in there. 
It wasn't until I came to Calkins Baptist Church that I realized what the gospel was. So as you're reading the scriptures now and you're, you're kind of filling this out, it must have been a shock to you to learn that like you were a sinner because I think we, we all know that we sin, but, but you're not just talking about sinning every once in a while when you understand you're a sinner. That's correct. I think one of the highlights was that, that when I learned, I knew there was a heaven and I knew there was a hell, but I certainly didn't want to go to hell. Right. So I knew I wanted to go to heaven and I had to find out what way, what I had to do to get there. And it just put my trust in Christ alone mm. to get there. I see. So now now that you have you gave your heart to Christ, you said in March of uh, 81. That's correct. Okay, so, so what changed in your life after your conversion? Well, I learned also that I had to get baptized. So in July of 1981, my wife and I both got baptized together in the Delaware River. And then since then, I've been a deacon, a Sunday school superintendent, and a Sunday school teacher for 40 years. Each one, you know, in between. But I've been serving the Lord since that time. The Lord got a hold of my heart, and I've been faithful. And I see that if you want to do something, you have to be faithful all the way at it. Mm. So, so um, like before your conversion, uh, before you started uh, really getting interested, you probably didn't read the Bible at all as growing up as a kid? A little bit, but okay. I didn't understand it. Uh-huh. No, it was a different type of Bible that I read. Okay. So well, now, now that you're born again, I mean, do you read the Bible weekly, monthly? How often do you read it? Every day. Every day. Amen. I read a scripture every day. That's good. And uh, I'm sure God's taught you many things over the years because of that. I've been blessed. And as a Sunday school teacher, I've seen many kids come through my classes and be blessed and come back and thank me for different teachings that I've taught them. And I've seen different kids in the area grow and serve the Lord also. Now, you also, Mike, been involved in trying to be a blessing just on privately. I know you don't um, uh, talk a lot about this, but just trying to help people in the community out in the name of Christ. And what got you onto that? Well, I like to cook. So really, I try and help people out with giving them meals. And, and people that are widows in the community, if they need help doing work and maintenance around the house, as a retired person, I have time on my hands. So I like to visit different elderly people and help them. Amen. And I know that you've done that for a number of people. There, Many of them are not in the church at all. They're, they're just people in the community, people that you know. And uh, I know you do that for the Lord's glory. Matter of fact, you're involved in um, our upcoming um, Wild Game Supper. And um, uh, you're kind of organizing the food on that. And there may be several people who don't really understand what that's about. So maybe you could just give a few thoughts okay. on that. And Calkins Church puts on an annual Game Supper every year. And this year it's a little bit late. It's March 26th, Saturday at 6 p.m. it starts. And we have a special speaker and the game warden, the local game warden, comes and gives a, a speech also about the new laws. And um, it's always best to make reservations so we know how many people are coming. And you can call my wife, Susan Krug, at 570-729-7388. And of course, if you have a wild game dish to bring, we welcome that. But most people, if they don't hunt, they like to bring at least something. So they may say they want to bring soda or chips or dessert. And we don't condone that. If you want to bring something, you can, but it's not really necessary. You can come and not bring anything. We just um, have the pleasure of you coming here and feeding you. Yeah. And it's a great time. We were able to, again, preach the gospel 
Um, we have Pastor Sherman Skeens from Acre Lake Baptist down the road, probably a half, an hour and a half from here. And um, also, uh, again, the game warden's going to be here. And uh, and it's a great, great evening. And, and I know you go out and make sure that we have some door prizes for people who stay th- to the end. Correct. I, I purchased some door prizes, and we give we pull people's names out when they come in. They fill out their name, and uh, we hold on to that slip, and then we pull them out of a, of a box, and we give a few game different uh, things away dealing with uh, hunting and fishing. Right. That's great. And, like, what, what are some of the, the uh, things that people bring, some of the different dishes? They bring venison, certainly. We've had smoked salmon. We've had deer meatloaf. We've had deer roast. We've had uh, turkey. Uh, we've had turtle soup. Uh, we've had uh, pheasant and grouse and rabbit. You know, people, anything, any game animal that they happen to have, sometimes they, uh, we've had bobcat. And I understand we have beaver coming maybe this year. So, yeah, lots of different things. And, and actually, um, so many of them are very, very well prepared. And it's a great uh, blessing to have them. Well, I'm glad for what God has done in, in your life. Is there anything that you'd like to just mention as you close this out, like uh, uh, um, encouraging people to seek the Lord like you did? I just uh, thank the Lord that it's a pleasure to be here. And I hope that if, if uh, people hear my testimony, maybe they seek the Lord also by reading and, and seeing that they need to be born again like I was. Amen. And uh, it's been great to, I, I, I can just say personally that uh, I met Mike 25 years ago plus when I first came to the church. And um, and your testimony um, is genuine. I believe you really want to serve the Lord. And it's been a joy to work with you over the years. So, Thank you. All right. Lord bless you. And again, I hope that you'll think about coming to the Game Supper as well if if you're in our area. Again, that's March 26th at uh, 6 o'clock at the Calkins Family Center, 527 Calkins Road. So let's just go ahead and and read those together. If you can just notice it with me. You don't have to read it out loud, but maybe read it to yourself. Matthew chapter 12, starting with verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. And the big crime that Jesus committed that they wanted to, this is why they wanted to kill him, was because he had had the nerve of healing a person on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. And for that, quote, crime, um, now they're considering killing him. Verse 14. Then the, uh, so they had, this help, they had this council to destroy him. Now look at verse 15. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence. I'd like you to consider when Jesus walks away. Before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, as as we study, Lord, we need your spirit, we need your help. We ask for it right now that you would would give us an understanding of your word and how it applies not only in, in Jesus' life here, but then how it applies to our own lives. We ask for help in Jesus' name. Amen. Josh mentioned in Sunday school, I also uh, planned on mentioning this morning right here that 77 years ago today uh, was the largest amphibious um, uh, invasion in all of history of warfare as far as we know. And that was um, on December, excuse me, on June the 6th, um, 1944, uh, 150,000 troops crossed the English Channel uh, for Normandy, France. Um, and 
the D-Day invasion, which was the beginning of the Allied, uh, basically it's us, uh, it's uh, Great Britain and Canada, um, working to invade Europe and try not merely to push the Germans back from uh, when they had conquered France and many other countries along the way, but not to stop at just pushing them back, but to go and to crush the Nazi war machine. And that was what was, uh, was uh, the goal, and that's, thank the Lord, what exactly what happened. Um, the, the, on the U.S., uh, but the Canadian side, they ran into fierce uh, resistance at um, the beach called Juneau Beach. They, they, they named them, okay, different beaches of the attack. And they tried to feign an attack. By the way, they fooled Hitler that they were going to attack elsewhere quite a ways away, and Hitler... Um, even after the invasion, still thought that they were going to attack where they had all kinds of dummy planes and all kinds of things that they had done to try to deceive the Germans. And um, but in, even in spite of that, there was a um, they had uh, there was a plan to to um, assault the uh, fortifications, and some of that didn't work because there was a bad storm right around that time. Um, matter of fact, they, they, they attacked on the 6th in spite of the fact that the weather was still very nasty, and they felt like that would give them an element of surprise because no one really would expect them to attack in that kind of weather. And so they put it off from the 5th, they went the 6th, and um, in spite of that, um, 2,501 American soldiers lost their lives just in that first 24 hours of the invasion, and it was more than the losses of the British and the Canadians uh, together. Um, Hitler and the, his other leaders who followed the Nazi philosophy were so committed to evil and to the complete rejection of God-given rules of morality that they made it clear by their decisions that there was nothing else that could be done but that they had to be militarily defeated at all cost. And we have rightly said that there literally was a, this was one of the major battles in, in uh, recent history for the freedom of the world. It really was that significant. Uh, yet, as we come to our passage for today, um, Jesus is walking away from conflict. And I, I want to show you a verse, and I'm going to come back to it at the end. But would you, would you look with me at Romans chapter 12? And um, off the top of my head, it's either verse 18 or 19. It's verse 18. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. It says this, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I would submit to you that I do not believe it was possible to live peaceably with Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. And that verse actually leaves that door open, that there are times when it does, you can't do it. You can't live peaceably with someone. And Hitler had to be stopped. We tried. The, the, the nations of Europe tried in many ways to say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll compromise. With, you could not compromise with a man. You had to defeat him. But in many cases throughout Jesus' public ministry, you find him walking away from conflict. 
which is a very difficult thing to do as well. And although it is noble to stand and fight for a righteous cause, and it is, for the furtherance of the gospel, Christ shows us the example of also walking away from a fight that you don't need to fight. And so I want you to notice that's exactly what he's doing here. And we'll notice a few thoughts. First of all, is Jesus' habit of avoiding conflict when possible. And that is he's not looking to stir up fights unnecessarily. Now, let's notice, first of all, what Jesus did. And then I want you to consider for a moment what he didn't do uh, on just under this point. Okay, uh, I'll give you some examples. The first one's right in front of us, and that is he left an area when some plotted to kill him. Now, again, look at verse 15. When, when, when Jesus knew it, he knew what? He knew they were plotting to kill him. He withdrew himself from thence, from there. He left there. So, notice another example from John chapter 7. There's a couple of them in John, actually. Uh, probably about maybe three different ones. But let's go to John chapter 7. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to end in, in, in I'm going to come back to Matthew if you want to keep a marker there. But we are going to look at different passages because we're talking about this characteristic of Christ, if he could, to avoid unnecessary conflict. John chapter 7, look at verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry. That means Judea, okay, southern Israel. Why? Because the Jews sought to kill him. All right, look in chapter 11 and verse 54. Chapter 11, verse 54. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews. Now this means he's not having a big, big crowds following him. Okay, but went thence into a country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim and there continued with his disciples. Now, why is he doing that? Well, back up to verse 53. Then from that day forward, they took counsel for to put him to death. And that was after the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And there was no way you could point to any crime in that. And yet when Jesus knew they were trying to kill him, you'll notice he then becomes less public. I want you to notice how he also avoided unnecessary attention brought to himself. Chapter 4. Why is, he, why is he doing this? I think part of it is an example to us that the gospel ministry should not be about... Uh, Josh was actually dealing with it in Sunday school this morning. Those of you that don't come to Sunday school, you're missing out on the, uh, many good lessons that we're getting in the adult class. But Josh was talking about the fact that, that Christian churches, we cannot build it on personalities of people. That's got to be built on the Word of God. That's the scriptures are our authority, and, and yes, there's uh, church offices that God establishes, and yes, there's authority under those structures, but the word of God is our primary authority. John chapter 4, look at verses 1 to 3. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus baptized more disciples than John. John who, by the way? John the Baptist, right? And John the Baptist was having a tremendous ministry now Jesus' ministry is surpassing John's. Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. He walks away from the fame. Chapter 5. Look at verse 13 with me. Chapter 5, verse 13. 
This is after Jesus healed uh, a man at the pool of, of Bethesda. And, and he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. And it probably was a very practical thing here because uh, if, if one guy uh, is healed, you can imagine the other people that would have wanted to be healed at this point. And for whatever reason, Jesus wasn't, wasn't going to be able to do that at that time. So he conveyed himself. But he's not looking for fame and recognition. Now back to chapter 7 of the Gospel of John. And I want you to notice this in chapter 7, starting with verse 2. It says, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples may also see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Show what you can do. Show off. For neither did his brethren believe in him. And interesting, his own brothers at that point. Now, by the way, um, some of his brothers, we know, were converted afterwards. One of them specifically, James, saw Christ after his resurrection, becomes the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, writes the book of James that you read in the back of your Bible. And then Jude, who writes the second to last uh, book of the Bible also seems to be a half-brother of Christ. But at this point, they didn't believe in him either. And it's interesting that they're saying, look, you know, if you really are the Christ, if you're able to do these miracles, show everybody what you can do. Verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Now that's something to really keep in mind here. We're talking about walking away from a fight. We're not talking about refusing to tell people the truth of the Word of God. We're talking about, have you ever, and some of you understand what I'm talking about in this, you have loved ones and you've shared the Word of God with them and they become just extremely angry with you. Or maybe it was a friend and you tried to share the Word of God with that friend and they just became, and, and, and sometimes you, you feel like, what, now what do I do now? And, and there are times when, when you just have to walk away from that situation for a little while. You just have to, instead of just continually agitating, um, you have to sometimes give some space. And so Jesus, you see, doing this. But it doesn't mean he doesn't keep preaching. Just keep reading here. Verse, um, uh, verse uh, uh, 7, he says, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up to this feast. I go not up yet to this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then he went up also unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. He's not got a big entourage, not trying to show off who he is. He avoids unnecessary attention. I find this interesting. Do you realize that Jesus sometimes hid and peaceably slipped away from crowds that got extremely angry with him? Let me show you a couple examples of it. At Nazareth, you got one coming up in John here, so you might want to keep your finger in John. But back in Luke, one book in front of where we're at, Luke chapter 4, verses 28 to 30, Jesus was preaching in his hometown. And his message so infuriated his own, many of his own hometown that they wanted to kill him. 
And what he had said was basically that God's looking for faith. He's, not, he, he's willing to work with a Gentile as well as a Jew as long as they have faith. And they didn't want to hear that. So verse 28. And, they that were in the, they, uh, and all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down head, headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. He just quietly hides, and I'm sure that was God's intervention there, and slips away. Back to the Gospel of John. Look with me at chapter 8, verse 58 and 59. There's two different incidents that this happens in the temple. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. That's a statement of deity. He's using the sacred name of God, I am that I am. And he is claiming to be the eternal God there. Verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus did what? Isn't that interesting? Hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Let's look at the next one, chapter 10. Having another discussion, again asserting the fact that he is God. I won't give, go into the whole thing. Let me just notice with you verse um, 29 and 30. Jesus says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then took they up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father, for which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus says a few more things. Um, skip down to verse 37. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. That's a statement, again, of equality with God. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. Now if we so see that Jesus repeatedly made um, the effort to walk away from potential conflict, leaving an area when people were plotting to kill him, staying out of certain areas, even staying out of public um, at times when people were, were going after him, avoiding unnecessary attention, hiding and slipping away peacefully. Have you thought about what that means about what Jesus did not do? What did he not do? What could he have done? That's exactly right. He could have kept agitating, could he not? I'm going to get where you're going. You're, you're a couple uh, pushes ahead of me. He could have kept agitating. He could, have come, he could have stood right in that temple and he could have said, you know what, you can't touch me. And they couldn't have. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. Rather interesting, he didn't do that. He could have stood and fought. And as Steve said, he could have judged and destroyed. Absolutely, he could have destroyed them. Brought the whole house down. I want to show you some examples of this when Jesus would refer to something like this. Luke chapter 9, 
Again, you don't have to hang, if you're hanging on to Matthew, that's where you want to hang on to. But in Luke chapter 9, it, many of you may remember this account where the, Jesus is, is starting now his journey toward Jerusalem and his crucifixion. And Luke, notice how early this is in this book. Now, lets us know that's where he's headed. Start with um, this, uh, verse 51. And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, you're talking about his death, burial, and his resurrection, and his ascension back to heaven, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, he's going there to be crucified. And sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember what happened to Jesus when he went to the Samaritans early in his ministry? John chapter 4, when the Samaritan met the Samaritan woman. And what happened there? Anybody remember after she got converted, what happened? The, the, the city embraced him. Remember, a number were saved. They stayed there like two or three days. And had a tremendous ministry to the Samaritans. Okay, so now... It's, it's, it's some time later, but he's headed back in, and he sends a couple of disciples ahead of him to a, a Samaritan village and says, Hey, Jesus of Nazareth is coming through. Would you like to have him preach to you? Have him minister to you? Verse 53, And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So why is it that they didn't want to... What was their excuse? You're going to Jerusalem, uh, that's where the Jewish people, we hate the Jews. It's, it's that whole racial thing going on. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Even as Elijah did. Elias is Elijah. Lord, would you like us to We could just destroy them. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village, and I will submit to you again, when in, insulted Jesus walked away. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. Matthew chapter 26 is describing Jesus at his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And some of you will remember this statement of Christ when we get there. Verse 49 to 53. Forthwith he came, this is Judas, to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Why would you come, Judas? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Now, who was that, by the way? Which disciple did that? Peter, right? He grabbed his sword. Verse 52. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up the, again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. That's an interesting thought. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. Folks, was that a one-time thing? Could Jesus have commanded legions of angels earlier in his ministry if he wanted to? 
And so we have to realize that Jesus chose not to keep agitating. He chose not to stand and fight against his enemies. He chose not to judge and destroy them. That is the example that Jesus gave. Now, again, I'm not saying there are times when, uh, in a situation like an Adolf Hitler, you have to step in. Remember, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There are times when, when it's out of our hands. It is something that has to be done. When the Twin Towers were attacked, that was, a, that was something that needed to be avenged. There were innocent lives that were lost, and it was the job of the, of the President of the United States. That time, George W. Bush, it was his job to do that. When a police officer sees someone being assaulted, it is his job to step in at that point. It's his responsibility. But when it comes to sharing the gospel with people, we not only have what Jesus did, but we also have what he taught. Look at this out of Matthew chapter 10, verse 23. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, they, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That's a, that's a, that's a prophecy that Jesus was going to give, and, and, and is still in effect, by the way, to his followers during the tribulation period when they're going to send the, the gospel through the nation of Israel. And he, he didn't say stand and fight. He said, I want you to keep going and move on when they try to persecute you. Get the gospel to the nation, to the nation as much as you can before I come. And we also have prophecies of Jesus then. This is what makes it kind of confusing, actually. Um, uh, what, what, did, what did the scripture say Messiah was going to do when he ran into evil? I'm sorry? Conquer it? Heal it. To heal it, you have to really get rid of it, right? Let me show you some, some prophecies that Jesus uh, that talked about Messiah. And this can make it pretty confusing. There were prophecies of Messiah's judgment of evil. And you'll notice, I've got a bunch of them up there. Let's, now, you're, if you, I, I'm in Matthew right now. Where are you at? Where are you at? You in Luke or Matthew? Good. Okay. Book right in front of Matthew. It's the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Look right in front of where you're at. Okay? You may have to get through some stuff between the Testaments, but this is the last book of the Old Testament. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Okay, who would that messenger be? John the Baptist. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, so there's the prophecy that Jesus was going to come and you would find him in the temple. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. Refiner's fire that's going to burn things up. Fuller's soap, clean things up. Verse 3, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them uh, as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. 
He was going to come, the Messiah is supposed to come to judge sin. Look at chapter 4, same book. Verse 1 down to verse 3. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Can you see the judgment there where God's saying that the wicked are going to be burned up? Root or branch, no descendants left. Verse 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves in the stall, and, and ye shall tread down the wicked. Does that sound like conflict? For they shall be as ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. We have prophecies of his judgment. Let's look at a couple more. Back in Matthew now. Look at, uh, you can go to Matthew now, right where we were. And we'll look in chapter 3. This is John the Baptist when he comes and he's preaching about the Messiah who's, who's going, who's, who's, uh, he says is, is, is right here. I'm, I'm preparing the way for him. And John says this in verse 11 and 12. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor, gather his wheat into the garner, but with, he will burn up the chaff, those would be the unbelievers, the wicked, with unquenchable fire. John is warning that Jesus, when he comes, yes, he will bless the righteous, but he will judge the wicked. I'll give you one more passage. Matthew, uh, Revelation, go all the way, can't hang on to Matthew because I will be back, but Revelation 19. This is, so while you're flipping there, let me, let me ex explain something that maybe will make sense to you now. Do you understand when, when John is in prison and John is, is hearing about the ministry of Jesus and Jesus is not stepping in to destroy the wicked. Did he go into the temple? Did he drive them out with whips? Yes, he did, but he didn't kill them. And he walked away from many conflicts. And he's not stepping in and putting his fist down on people. And so remember what John says, are you he that should come? Or do we look for another? It doesn't seem to match what John was preaching. The reason why is because when Jesus came to earth in what we call his first coming or his first advent, he came to bring salvation and mercy. And we're still in that time period, folks. And that's why as Christians, we walk away from many conflicts that we could fight in. As much as lies within us, we're told, live peaceably with all men. There are times when you can't. But as much as we can. But let me show you one more prophecy. And this is what is going to happen when Jesus comes the second time as king. It's Revelation chapter 19, and look with me at verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make, what? War. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called, in case we didn't know who he is, the Word of God. John 1, by the way, John's the same author 
We know that the Word is Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 15. Out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword, that whether he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the fierceness of the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Now, uh, I showed last week, I think it was here, I showed a, a picture of, an, of the atom bomb when it went off. If you remember that picture? And I said, you've got to have a context that if you don't understand what was going on, that led up to the dropping of the atom bomb on Hiroshima and then the, then the, the atom bomb on Nagasaki. If you don't understand the context, you really don't get what's going on. And it's the same way here. If we understood the vile things that were happening to believers and even unbelievers as a result of Satan and his crew ruling the world, if we understood what was going on, we would completely get why Jesus is doing what he's doing here. Skip down to verse 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them and had received the mark of the beast and, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake, burning with fire and brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with his flesh. And so we have these prophecies that were, particularly in the Old Testament, you find it as well now in the New Testament of Christ coming and bringing wrath upon those who are evil. But you also had these prophecies of his deliverance of the oppressed. And so I want you to take a moment with me to go back to the book of Isaiah, which is Old Testament. So it's in front of Matthew, if you still got your spot in Matthew. Go to Isaiah chapter 42 with me. And this is one of the spots, and there are many, when the Messiah's coming was also to bring peace. And so it says this, Isaiah chapter 42, written 700 years before Jesus, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He'll bring righteousness, he'll bring justice to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. You see, when Jesus was, was not trying to draw attention to himself, it actually is a fulfillment of prophecy. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he hath set judgment in the earth, and the isles or the coastlands shall wait for his law. Thus saith the Lord God, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth, that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, will hold thine hand and keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light to the, of the Gentiles, the nations of the world, to open the blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. This Messiah was supposed to bring relief to the oppressed, deliverance. But I ask you this question, why were these people oppressed? Skip down to verse 22. You'll get a little picture of it. But this is a people robbed and spoiled, okay? These are oppressed people. They are all of them snared in holes. They are hid in prison houses. They're, okay, there's the imprisonment side of it. For they are, they are for a prey, and none delivereth, for a spoil, and none saith restore. 
These are people that are forgotten. They're not being helped. Who is among you who will hear this, will hearken and hear for the time to come? Who, who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? Why did these bad things happen? Did not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned, for they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient to his law. You see, the people were suffering because they'd walked away from God's word. So I ask you this question. If you had to meet the Messiah, which way would you rather meet him? Would you rather meet him in his judgment or in his mercy? So John the Baptist was telling the people of his day, you need to repent so you can meet him in his mercy. Those people did not live to see Jesus bring judgment, but the day after their eyes closed in death, they met the Lord either in judgment or in mercy. The message is still going out of mercy today. But let me ask you this question. Which way would you rather that your loved ones and your friends meet the Lord, in his judgment or in his mercy? And the Lord is crying out. And that's why he's walking away from conflict. That's why he's not agitating people. Because he's trying to reach out in mercy before he has to judge. Now back in our text, let me just quickly ask, what did Jesus do instead of engaging in conflict? What did he do? Back in Matthew chapter 12, I want you to notice what he's doing. I'm at the middle of verse 15. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. So you'll notice that Jesus is actually helping those who would listen. Yeah, there was a bunch of people that were, that were, that were in, involved in this uh, conspiracy to try to put the Lord to death, but Jesus is walking away from them to go find some people who were willing to listen, who he could help, because he wants to bring mercy. You'll also notice that he is, again, an example of not promoting himself. And Matthew specifically nails this. Notice what he says. He heals these people, verse 16, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall he, any man hear his voice in the streets. We read this, didn't we? A bruised reed shall he not break, smoking flax shall he not quench, till he bring, send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust, the nations of the world. Now what do we conclude from all this? Well, number one, Jesus could have easily destroyed his enemies if he wanted to. But we notice that instead he chose to walk away and do his enemies no harm. Thirdly, we see that Jesus came with a message of mercy. And he still comes, and that's why as Christians, that's our calling. is to call out to a world that is going the wrong direction, and because of that they are blind, and because of that they are imprisoned. And to call out to a world that, that, is, that is being destroyed and oppressed, and to say there is a, a someone who can help, there is a Savior who can make the difference, there is someone who can change your life and your eternal destiny. 
Jesus came with a message of mercy, and he will return then eventually to judge his enemies. It is also, just as the prophecies were that he would come with mercy, so are the prophecies that he will come one day with judgment. And so you must choose whether you will meet him as your Savior or as your judge. And I'd like to close by sending you to a passage in the Psalms. You can leave everything else behind. And go with me, if you would, to Psalm 50. This is actually the psalm I'm in the process of memorizing right now. Again, haven't got to these verses yet, but boy, did they, when I looked at them, it's like, wow, it's exactly what we're talking about here. Psalm 50. I want you to notice verses 16 to verse 23, the end of the psalm. It says this, But unto the wicked God saith, what hast thou to do, to do to declare my statutes or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Now, can I just explain what he's saying? He's saying, don't be a hypocrite. Don't claim to be my follower when you're not and you're living a double life. Don't do it. Seeing thou hatest instruction and casteth my words behind thee. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him. Thou hast been a partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to the evil, thy tongue frameth the seed. He says, you've been dishonest. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. You're a slanderer. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. As Jesus, he walked away. He didn't, he didn't keep agitating. God says, I, I, I watched what you were doing. I saw the sins you were committing against me and other people. I saw every bit of it. I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether one such as thyself. You thought that I, that I didn't see it. You thought I was just like another human being. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. God says, I'm gonna, you're going to stand before me, and I'm going to go over every one of those. Now consider this. You that forget God lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. There's the judge. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. If you want to turn and repent and become someone that will praise God, you can glorify God. God is giving you the chance for mercy. And to him that ordered his conversation aright, I will show the salvation of God. And so Jesus spent his time of his earthly ministry, and really it's an example to us that as much as possible, we are to share the news that God wants to be merciful, but to also warn that our God is a righteous judge, and you will stand before him and give an account. As Romans 14.12 says, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of our Savior. He could have agitated, stuck around. So many cases, Lord, when hatred and bitterness and, and Lord, in, in, in doing so, he was being merciful. They didn't have any clue what they were dealing with, who they were dealing with. And in his mercy... He spared them again and again and again.
giving them more chances. Lord, I believe that some of those people, as hardened as they were, may have come to Christ and accepted him even after his death and resurrection. We, we are told that many of the Pharisees did believe in him after his resurrection. So, Lord, we, are, we, we can believe that, that in his mercy there was a result of, of souls being saved, but we also are well aware that there were many who did not turn ever and have met the judge. Lord, every person here is an eternal soul. We all, all of us, myself, every one of us as individuals will stand before you and give an account. And Lord, in many ways that day is a very terrifying day, and rightly so, because you know not only everything we've ever done, things we've long forgotten. Lord, you know why we did what we did. You know every motive, every thought. And Father, you offer through your Son and his sacrifice on Calvary. You offer forgiveness. So we don't have to stand before you as, our, as an angry judge. We are able to stand before you and give an account, but to our Father, not, not our enemy, because we've walked away from Christ. Lord, I pray for any who may be here and they're not saved. Help them to see and understand that Christ calls out to them in mercy. And help them to see your mercy in their lives many times over. To forgive, to walk away when, they, when, when you could have judged. Lord, you've been merciful to all of us. I pray for Christians. Those of us, Lord, who um, know thee and yet may not be walking as we ought before thee. Oh, Lord, you have been gracious. May we grab onto your grace and mercy. And may we share your grace and mercy with people around us. But may we also, as our Savior taught us to do, may we warn of judgment to come. And I pray for any who may be here, and the reality is if they stood before you tonight, they are not prepared, and they would stand before a judge, the judge of all the earth who knows everything they've done and the reality that they have rejected the Savior. Oh, Lord, please, in your mercy, open their eyes, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like some spiritual help like counseling or prayer, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Remember our annual Wild Game Supper is scheduled for Saturday, March 26th, starting at 6 p.m. in the Beacon Family Center at 527 Calkins Road, Milanville. All are invited to join us. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.